I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to episode number 5 of the Scottish History Podcast. My name is Owen Innes and once again I welcome you back to the podcast. Today we're going to be continuing on the story of the Wars of Independence. We left off the last episode with the death of William Wallace, his murder, execution, whatever you want to refer to it as. But regardless of this, the times are now changing. This is where a man called Robert Bruce is going to step up to the plate, the man that we now know as Robert the Bruce, King Robert the Bruce, or just Robert I of Scotland. He was probably born in Turnberry Castle. Now, Turnberry is down on the west coast in Ayrshire, uh, the west coast of Scotland, of course, I mean, uh, I think. Most people refer uh, or would would know Turnberry because of a certain American president who owns a big golf course down there. So Robert the Bruce, Robert the First, was the grandson of Robert Bruce the competitor. So Robert Bruce the competitor was the man who was fighting against John Balliol to become the king when Edward I had that choice with the great cause, etc. Robert the Bruce was the oldest child of 11 children that his father, Robert Bruce, and his mother, Marjorie, the Countess of Carrick, had. He himself became the Earl of Carrick in 1292 when his father resigned the title to be named the successor of the Bruce claim to the throne of Scotland. The thing with Robert the Bruce uh, that that was brought up in Braveheart but shown in a very aggressive way was the fact that Robert the Bruce would sometimes be in support of the Scots and others would be in support of Edward I. This was basically because the Bruce family were a proud family who owned a lot of land. By supporting John Balliol or supporting William Wallace, um, Edward would strip the land. He would would confiscate the land away from the Bruces and the Bruces were um, quite happy with the land that they had, etc. So the Bruce family did sign the Ragman Roll. And again, this was basically just to show no support for the Scots or, or for John Balliol whatsoever, just really so they could 
keep their land and keep the people of Carrick, this this sort of area that they were from. He wanted to make sure that these people would remain loyal to, to Bruce. So in 1295, Robert the Bruce gets married for the first time. He marries Isabel, the daughter of the Earl of Mar. But unfortunately, in 1296, the following year, uh, she died. But she died having given birth to Robert the Bruce's first child, Marjorie. As mentioned in the previous podcast, when William Wallace, uh, after the Battle of Falkirk in 1298, William Wallace resigned his title as the Guardian of Scotland. Robert the Bruce and another man called John Common, who was the Lord of Badenoch, were appointed as joint guardians of Scotland. They were followed in 1299 by another guardian. So there was there was three guardians. This was Bishop Lamberton, a uh, bishop from Glasgow. But Bruce himself resigned from his post as guardian of Scotland in 1300. Now, this was probably because he did not like John Common. The two of them just never got on with each other. Now, this was similar to the scenario with Robert Bruce and John Balliol uh, back during the Great Cause. And this was, they both had claims to the throne. Robert the Bruce and John Common both had claims to the throne. John Common was more a more staunch supporter of Edward I. Uh, Robert the Bruce, again, as as you might have been able to work out already, he couldn't quite make up his mind. So Robert the Bruce and John Balliol, uh, sorry, John Common, they never really saw eye to eye. So Robert the Bruce had to leave his post as Joint Guardian in 1300. But by the time that we get back to 1302, Robert the Bruce was once more in league with Edward I. Uh, A document does survive which Edward I guarantees freedom and safety to Bruce and his uh, the people of Carrick. So he gives permanent possession of the lands of Carrick to Robert the Bruce. Not only this, but Edward I also would support Bruce in any challenge that John Balliol or Balliol's son or anything like that would try to reclaim the throne of Scotland. But Bruce had to be a good boy, basically. There was another reason for Bruce siding with Edward, and that was he had fallen in love with Elizabeth de Burgh, the daughter of the Earl of Ulster. The Earl of Ulster was one of Edward's main supporters, a very big supporter. So Edward and Bruce had to be on side, or Bruce had to have Edward on his side to allow that marriage to take place. In 1304, when the Scottish nobles surrendered to Edward I, it was John Common who conducted the negotiations between the Scots and England. But what was to happen next was a massive surprise to the people of Scotland and, of course, to Edward as well. After some talks with Bishop Lamberton, Bruce had arranged a meeting with John Common in a place called Greyfriars Kirk in Dumfries, Dumfries, down again in the west coast of Scotland, 
near the border with England. Now this meeting took place in February 1306 and once again this is a scenario that we know a little bit about but we don't really know the full story. Now a recent film came, well actually believe it or not, within within the space of about 12 months, two films, uh, two Hollywood films, or, or just call them Hollywood, they might not be Hollywood as such, but two films came out based upon the life of Robert the Bruce. We had the first one was The Outlaw King with Chris Pine as Robert the Bruce, and the second one, which most people just regard as Braveheart 2, uh, with Angus McFadgen uh, reprising his role as Robert the Bruce, who he he played Robert the Bruce in in Braveheart, so he wrote this this new story. That one I have not seen. However, the Outlaw King I have seen. The Outlaw King does basically state that Robert the Bruce meets John Common in Greyfriars Kirk. Kirk being the old Scottish word for church. So, uh, for those of you that don't know, this this scenario happens inside of a church. And the scenario is is that John Common and Robert the Bruce walk in. Again, they're not the best of friends. From Greyfriars Kirk, in February 1306, only one of them walks out alive. And that is Bruce. Bruce walks out alive. However, inside of the church, John Common is dead. So the widely believed scenario as to what's happened here is Bruce and Common meet up in this church to discuss what's going to happen with Scotland once Edward is gone or dead or whatever. John Common wants Robert the Bruce's support in Common's claim to the Scottish throne, but it is likely that Bruce also said that he wanted Common's support in his um, competition to become the next King of Scots. So the two of them get into an argument, the argument turns into a fight, and the fight turns into John Common getting himself stabbed. Mortally stabbed. So did Bruce kill Common in that church, or did he just inflict an injury and someone else did it? And someone else finished him off? So again, the widely believed scenario is Bruce stabs Common. Common is laying on the ground, dying. Robert the Bruce walks out of the church to a man called Roger Kirkpatrick, now Sir Roger Kirkpatrick. Bruce comes out of the church and says, I think I've just killed John Common. And Roger Kirkpatrick replies, Al Mac Shicker. I'll make sure. IMAX Sicker is now the clan motto, if you will, of the Kirkpatrick clan. So apparently what then happens is Kirkpatrick goes into the church and finishes off the job, makes sure, so that it wasn't necessarily Bruce that killed him, it was Kirkpatrick that finished off the job, that, that dealt the uh, the the fatal blow. Uh, however, again, we have no proof as to what exactly it was that happened in that church. Regardless of this, Robert the Bruce has been involved in the killing of a man in a church. He has very, very limited time 
before things start to go very drastically wrong and before things very drastically change. And what I mean by that is as soon as the Pope in Rome, now the church was in charge of everything, you know, uh, these God-fearing men, they were, it, it was, it was a, everything went through the church. So as soon as the Pope was to hear upon the death of John Common in a church and Robert the Bruce had something to do with it, Robert the Bruce would surely be excommunicated. And that is what happened, but we'll get round to that in a second. So Bruce knew that he had very limited time, so he and his men march from Dumfries in the sort of far west corner, uh, far bottom west corner of Scotland. They've got to march all the way up to Schoon so that Robert the Bruce could be crowned the next King of Scots before the Pope finds out. Before he leaves Dumfries, however, he does seize all of the castles in and around the area as he's making his way up to Schoon. When he gets to Schoon, he makes peace with the Bishop of Glasgow, Robert Wishart, Bishop Wishart, uh, which I always think is a quite funny uh, phrase to use. So Bishop Wishart um, and Robert the Bruce make peace with each other. So Wishart forgives Bruce for the murder of Common, but goes a few steps further. He provided the robes that Robert the Bruce would now wear as king, and a banner bearing the Royal Arms of Scotland. Bruce then sent a message for Bishop Lamberton, who was in Berwick at the time, inviting him to Schoon Palace for his coronation. Now, Bruce was actually crowned on New Year's Day in 1306. Now, New Year's Day in 1306 was not the 1st of January. It was the 25th of March. This was before the uh, the new calendars, etc. came in. So, on the 25th of March, 1306, Robert the Bruce was crowned the King of Scots for the first time. See, Robert the Bruce is widely known as the only British monarch. It might even be the only monarch in the world, but I believe it's, it's definitely the only British monarch to ever be crowned twice. And that was because this first coronation at Schoon was regarded to be illegitimate because there was uh, because of the the Earl of Fife was not present. Earl of Fife was only 16 years old at the time and Edward himself had actually forbidden him to attend any form of coronations. So for the second coronation the Earl's aunt Isabella of Fife came and crowned Bruce for the second time, this time with an actual gold crown. And she actually insisted on taking part in the ceremony uh, because she was actually an ally of Edward I and a relative of John Common. And it is um, believed that she rode there on her husband's best war horse without his actual knowledge of it. One other thing to mention, of course, for the coronation is there was no Stone of Schoon or there was no Stone of Destiny present at this particular coronation, which, of course, other people did see as uh, making this coronation non-legitimate. So once Edward had found out that Bruce had killed John Common in that church, Edward wrote a letter to the Pope 
in Rome to explain what had happened. So now the Pope knew that Bruce had been involved in the killing of a man in a church and now the Pope excommunicates Robert the Bruce. By this point, Bruce had already been crowned uh, the King of Scots. But regardless of this, Bruce was now excommunicated, but the Pope didn't stop at just excommunicating Bruce. He also excommunicated the entire country of Scotland as well. Now, because of this, problems start to arise, and those problems are that the people of Scotland aren't particularly that friendly now to Robert the Bruce. They're not big fans of him because they've had their entire country excommunicated by the Pope. And as I mentioned before, it was the church that ran everything. So people are very unhappy about this. So during the first year, year and a half or so of Bruce's reign, Edward I was still very much in control of Scotland. However, Bruce was slowly breaking Edward down, breaking down Edward's um, uh, strongholds, etc. Edward had appointed a man called Imer de Valance, uh, who was the brother-in-law of the murdered John Common, as a special commissioner in Scotland and was reportedly asked to show no mercy to the people of Scotland. But during that time, once again, Bruce had uh, really gathered up these guerrilla warfare tactics in terms of there was uh he, he would just it was all spur of the moment um you know no full-scale battles it was just get in take what they needed take over the castle whatever and leave um burning everything down destroying as much as possible uh, so that the English uh, garrisons could not just move straight back in. You know, if you take a castle, destroy it, so that no garrison could move back into that castle. They'd have to rebuild uh, the whole thing once again. But Bruce and de Valance did eventually uh, have a battle, uh, or a few battles actually, uh, a place called Methven, just outside of Perth. Uh, Bruce was very easily defeated there. And then Bruce was defeated once again at Dalry at a place near uh, called Tindrum uh, or Tyndrum. Again, there's a, a historical thing about that. We don't know exactly how to pronounce that. So Tyndrum or Tindrum, uh, Dalry was where the battle took place. But at that particular point, the Bruce party was ambushed by the McDonald's of Argyll, who were kinsmen of the Red Common. They were from Dunstaffnage Castle, uh, really near Oban, again west, right out in the west coast, past Loch Awe. So after his defeat at Dalry, Bruce sent his wife Elizabeth and his daughter Marjorie, uh, his sister Mary and Isabel the Countess of Buchan and other women to kill Drummy Castle uh, in the north of Scotland. They were sent there under the protection of Bruce's brother, Nigel. It is then that Bruce took a boat to Rathlin. That's a tiny island off the Irish coast. And this is where, once again, legend comes into things. I might actually record a special bonus podcast about the legend as to what happened on the Isle of Rathlin. Uh, so look out for that in the coming days.
so after leaving for Rathlin and coming back, it's it's about a year later, February 1307, or just over a year later, uh, sorry, just under a year later, he comes back, and by that point, Edward had confiscated all of his lands. Kildrummy Castle had fallen to the English. Nigel Bruce had been captured. He had been hung, drawn, and quartered. His uh, His wife, daughter... Everyone, all of the ladies that he'd sent up to Kildrummy Castle had been forced to flee uh, and they got as far as a place called Tain. And this is where they were captured by the Earl of Ross who handed them over to Edward I's men. Elizabeth de Burgh was only 17 when she was captured but because her father was a close friend of Edward she was treated better than some of the other women were, um, where she was just placed under strict house arrest in England. Uh, she was moved around the country constantly until her release in 1314, and we'll get to why 1314 is important in uh, in following podcast. But Bruce's daughter, Marjorie, was sent to a nunnery until her release also in the same year of 1314. So a few other of Bruce's brothers. So his first brother hung, drawn and quartered. His other brothers, Alexander, uh, the Dean of Glasgow and Thomas, they'd been captured as well and hung and beheaded. All that Bruce had now at this particular point was a few loyal companions, not a huge army, and he's got to try and fight the English army. So Bruce had basically realised that his entire hope of gaining control back of Scotland, defeating Edward or defeating uh, England in general, was this this guerrilla warfare campaign. It all came to a head really in May of 1307 when Bruce had managed to manoeuvre Imer de Valence into fighting at an enclosed space known as Loudon Hill. The Scottish spearmen easily defeated and routed the English cavalry and if you have seen or are going to watch uh, the Outlaw King, uh, the film The Outlaw King, this is the battle which is depicted in the film. One major issue that we have with that particular account in the film is that uh, Edward II is present during that battle, which he was not, and Edward I was already dead which he was not. He died about three or four days after Bruce had defeated De Valance at Loudon Hill. Edward was very sick by this particular point. He uh, was uh, lying in Lanarkost Priory near Carlisle, uh, still in the English border. He set out for Scotland uh, the following day, but it was only a few miles outside of Lanarkost that he was to pass away at Burra-on-Sands. He is supposedly said to have given his final instructions, his in his dying breath, if you will, his, his death will, uh, that his bones were to be carried in an urn, so his, bone, his body was to be burned, placed into an urn, and carried at the head of every English army to fight against the Scots, and that arm would remain at the head of the army until the Scots were defeated. However, Edward II's son, who was 
not as not not the same type of guy as Edward the First. Edward the First was a was a military genius. He was a tactical genius, probably one of the best. If not, I mean, I'm I'm going to take probably out there. He was definitely the best uh, warrior kings in of all time uh, in throughout all of history. Um, you know, I don't think that many Scots uh, or historians would argue with me on that particular point. I think Edward I was an absolute genius. Uh, but his death was so... Uh, what's the word? It was so just anticlimactic. You know, it was he's been carried on a litter through a field. He passes away. And that was that. So he'd given this command for his bones to be burned, etc. Edward II did not do that. He took his father's body down to Westminster Abbey where he buried him, bones and all. So we are now up to the point at the end of the Battle of Loudon Hill and we are out of time for this week. Once again, I'm trying to keep these episodes to the 20 minute or so mark. So uh, once again, I would like to thank you very much for listening. Uh, the next episode, uh, I will uh, do a little bonus episode to be released maybe in a couple of days about the legend of what happens on the island with Robert the Bruce. The next episode, of course, will continue on from this particular point. I believe that uh, what I'm going to try and do is today is a Sunday. I'm going to start trying to record episodes way in advance and just have them published on one day a week rather than trying to sit down on one specific day uh, in order to do it just with you know working full time etc as well so hopefully I'm going to try and get these episodes out to you nowadays uh, once a week on a Sunday um, there will be a couple of little bonus episodes with the Robert the Bruce thing uh, a couple of nice little surprises for you hopefully so uh, so look out for that extra um, that bonus podcast that I'll put out uh, in a couple of days time and uh, I will hopefully, if if I manage to work this out properly, I will hopefully speak to you again next Sunday. So once again, take care. Thank you very much. Please continue to support the uh, podcast in any way possible. Uh, I've had a couple of tweets recently and a couple of very nice emails from people from uh, all around the world. So I again, I do appreciate the fact that you're listening. Please keep sharing the pages. Uh, the Facebook page, uh, so Scott History Pod, just type that into Google, uh, so Scott History Pod, all one word seems to be uh, the way to search for this particular podcast, so Twitter, Facebook, and uh, please feel free to send us an email, my uh, website is scotthistorypod.libsyn, so that's L-I-B- sym.com you can find every single episode on there and links to where else you can watch it and of course if you prefer listening on Spotify please go on Spotify and follow the page, download it for later listen whenever you want um, so sorry for rambling away here but uh, once again I want to thank you very much uh, for listening to this uh, episode 5 and I will speak to you again soon
When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.